Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SIDERETIREDPOD in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the NFL and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan, joined alongside James and Jack. As always, Merry Christmas, boys. First episode since the holiday season. And of course, we're going to be continuing our Monday slash Tuesday for this week. Theme of the next upcoming few weeks episodes, and that is our top 10 list. Today's episode talking about all the first basemen in the league. Definitely a more exciting and a more stacked position in comparison to last week catchers. But before we get into that, Jack, James, how you guys doing? Uh, it's quite well, as you mentioned, um, back from the Christmas season, getting into our, uh, our routine. We did catchers, now first base, really power-heavy position, um, not much defense going on. So we got heated debate amongst ourselves. But I actually think just uh, gauging the list now maybe one of the more civil side retired episodes because it seems for the most part we might be on the same page uh for an uncharacteristic amount compared to our our past our past iterations of these lists yeah i was feeling in the christmas spirit and i just i didn't feel like being rude to mr Staffenbeck today so uh, <laughs> i decided to make a very fair very very honest unbiased list um that happened to to reflect mr Staffenbeck. so um just merry christmas to all <laughs> Sounds good. And obviously with the new year, we will have a lot of fun side retired announcements coming out over the next couple of days and weeks. So definitely make sure to check out the Twitter and Instagram for a lot of those upcoming news and announcements and new hires and all that fun. But James, I'll come to you first when first assessing the first base position and then you can run through your sort of 10 through one pretty quickly. What happened at first base? There's those two heavyweights at the top and then a lot of really solid players all throughout. So James, you're 10 to one. Yeah, so on my list, um, I started off with, I got Luis Arias at 10, Christian Walker at 9, Anthony Rizzo at 8, Jose Abreu at 7, Pete Alonso at 6, Nathan Lau at 5, Matt Olson at 4, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at 3, Paul Goldschmidt at 2, Freddie Freeman at 1. Um, I feel like the top two, you could argue, you know, who's 1, who's 2. Uh, both of them put up, have had really outstanding seasons, uh, especially last season. Uh, but Freeman edges out just for me because of his consistency um, and his, I mean, I feel like he's done it for like seven or eight years now where he just like hits 300 and hits 25 homers. Like it's, <laughs> he's like a machine over there at first base. Can't believe the Braves let him walk. Um, so yeah, that's why I have Freeman at the top of my list. Jack, do the same for your 10 through one. So uh, at 10, I have the same spot as James, Luis Arias, number nine, recently resigned Anthony Rizzo, Nate Lau at eight, Vinny Pasquatino, probably one of the biggest shockers. We'll dive into that more later um, in this episode. Then number six, Jose Abreu, five, Matt Olson, four, Pete Alonso, three, Vlad Guerrero Jr., two, Paul Goldschmidt, and the universal number one amongst three of us, Freddie Freeman. All right, and then I will go with my top 10 in that I had Matt Mervis, the rookie, at 10, Arise at 9, Nate Lowe is at 8, Rizzo, 7, Jose Abreu at 6, and then the classic top five of Olson, Guerrero, Pete at 3, Goldschmidt at two and Freeman at number one. And I think we want to start off with these top two or guys 
in Freeman and Goldschmidt. We all had Freeman as the number one, but I don't think, and we'll get into these, we had a lot of submissions from our readers and listeners, and I don't think it's like bad to say that Goldschmidt is number one. If you look at their stats from 2019 to 2022, it's almost startling how identical these two guys are. Freeman had a 146 OPS plus to Goldschmidt's 144. Freeman 103 homers to Goldschmidt's 106. Freeman 357 RBIs to Goldschmidt's 332. They're really identical players. James and Jack will come to you guys if however order you want to decide it. How close was it between Freeman and Goldschmidt and what eventually made you push Freeman as the number one, even though Goldschmidt is coming off the MVP season? It was rather close for me, as you mentioned. Um, I went with Freeman just because his expected stats jump off the book a, a bit more. And then also something of note, if you look at Freeman's spray chart, he's very dominantly a pull hitter. And with the abandoning of the shift, I think that's going to favor even more favorably for him. Offensively, among first basemen, he is, as you mentioned, in the class um, for you know for years now. This past year, he led an expected Woba was, uh, and then Wall with a ten- tangible Woba um, on par, but slightly worse than, um, than Paul Goldschmidt. He plays good overall defense. He's going to be the, the rock of a Dodgers lineup. And he just, overall, he is the man. Um, that contract is playing very favor- favorably so well for the Dodgers. It seems like he's picked up and has not lost a step since his Atlanta days. And maybe you can make your argument has gotten better. Striking out at only a 14% clip, walking at 11, hitting, mashing the ball, crushing with his barrels. He is a, you know, the unquestioned first baseman for me. And it seems like his offensive ceiling is only grown with the new rules going to be certainly in his favor. And then James, since Jack just mentioned the Atlanta thing, I want to come to you about another guy, Matt Olson, who Jack and I both rated really highly at the number five position. You had him at number four over a guy that we had higher in Pete Alonzo. What do you like about Olson in comparison to other guys and other sluggers on your list, such as Lau, Alonzo, and Abreu? Uh, yeah, I think Olsen just get the defensive edge uh, over Alonzo and uh, and Lau, uh, which is really the only reason I put him put him in front of him. Um, I think you know he's won a couple of Gold Gloves while he was in Oakland. Um, I think he's a really good defender, and I think his his offensive production is is very, fairly similar uh, to Alonzo. Um, and well, I mean Lau was a kind of a breakout this past season, but I'd say his offensive production is very similar to Alonzo. Uh, so his defensive edge was was big enough for me to put him ahead of Alonzo. Jack, the next debate I want to get into is between our three and four, and maybe there's a little bit of bias based on the sweatshirt that I'm wearing, but that's between Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Pete Alonso. You had Guerrero at three, I had Alonso at three, and then we flipped the order for four on both of our lists. Tell us why Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who didn't have a down 2022, but definitely coming off an MVP season or MVP caliber season, disappointed a little bit, but definitely for sure still a top four first baseman in the game. Like the majority of this list, both these guys are bat first, glove um, almost non-existent, um, whereas Alonzo had the better season this past year with, as you mentioned, Guerrero not really having a down year, given that I believe he's 24 years old and, you know, it was, it was certainly still on par. Um, you know, if you look at both expected and result-based stats, it seems like he is and Alonzo are, you know, neck and neck this past year. Then also just looking at how he projects in terms of Guerrero's, um, you know, unrivaled hard contact his great di- play discipline, his overall all hit tool. You look at like, I remember the one home run he had off Garrett Cole in June. The ball was in and low, and yet he still managed to get the battle to it and hit out of the Yankee Stadium uh, left field seats. It just shows, you know, the, the he has the potential to have the best hit tool in all of baseball, and then he also hits the ball ridiculously hard. And so which is why he's projected to be far and wide the best first baseman. So 
I wanted to take that into account while not solely relying on projections. I had him slot over three. As you mentioned, you can make the case. Alonzo, you know, it is a close battle. But for me, just seeing that Guerrero has a much higher ceiling, he's younger, he put up a similar season this past year. And what some people would say, not really, you know, down years unfair, but coming off, you know, the season where many people crowned him as a typical MVP in other years. Um, it seemed like the expectations were higher for Vlad and just overall him and the Blue Jays. Can't really fault them for the season, but it just, as we mentioned, kind of failed to live up to expectations. I'm expecting a not a bounce back, it would be fair to say, but certainly the you know, the sky's the limit is for him, just given his his young age, the contact, the low chase rates, the heart, um, the barrels all across the stadium. It seems like Vlad has, you know, the the ceiling and the, the more potential to be even the number one on this on this list come next year. And I think I agree with you that Guerrero definitely is the higher ceiling in comparison to Alonzo, but that's not to say that Pete is, as we've seen, he can hit 50 homers in a season if he wants to, like he did in his rookie season. I will say with Pete, it's more of a consistency thing. Pete has never spent a day. I'm knocking on every single piece of wood that I can find around me. Pete has never spent a day on the injured list in his four seasons in the big leagues. He also has the most home runs in baseball since when he came up in 2019, including Aaron Judge's 62 homer season this year. Pete on a 162 per basis is hitting 45 homers, an 884 career OPS, a 140 career OPS plus, which basically goes to tell you that Pete is a consistent pillar. And I don't think any of us are knocking Pete on this list, considering Jack has him at four, James has him at six, I have him at three. A really solid baseball player and fits into this second tier behind those two elite MVP candidates. James, I want to come to you next to talk about Nathaniel Lau and that you had him in your top five, a really breakout season for him in Texas, an AL Silver Slugger. I sort of think I maybe Jack, if you agree with me, you just want to see that second season out of him. His K rate was really high, but so was all of his X stats, his X batting average, X slugging percentage. So sort of what do you see with Nate Lau combination of a good hitter as well as a good statistical hitter? Yeah. So um I think the biggest thing for him was that he really found his power this year. Um he 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 got comfortable um in Texas at the Rangers ballpark. Uh, last season, he had a 350 or two years ago, excuse me, he had a 357 on base percentage. This past season, he had a 358 on base percentage. Um, very similar in that category. The biggest difference in his game was that slugging. His slugging in 2021 was a measly 415. This past season, he was able to up that to a 492. Um, I think that's really where he took the biggest stride in his game. Um, his ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark uh, and drive in runners with, you know, extra base hits such as doubles and triples. Um so yeah, I think I think if he can continue to to find the power, you know, I mean, I don't I think him him hitting three hundred again is obviously that's a lot of Babbitt luck um, and other things like that, because um, you know he does strike out a lot and he doesn't walk very well. Um, but if he can continue to slug, uh, I think he could consistently stay within up there in the top five, top six uh, at the first base position. Uh, his defense is a little lackluster, um, but who really cares as long as you're hitting almost thirty homers a season uh, at the first base position. Something that I did not expect to ever occur, James Towsey using BABIP to an, use an explanation as to why a guy is a top 10 first baseman. Look at this. Jack, I know one guy that you want to mention who most people, as you alluded to, probably, if not have even heard of him, is Vinny Pasquantino, who I know is close to making my list, but you are really high on him, making him your number seven first baseman. Tell us about the Royals' little gem. Um, So Pasquantino, he's, I believe he's still rookie eligible for this, uh, for next season. He's going into his age, 25 year, coming off 
a year where he split time between AAA and the major leagues, playing 73 games and 72 in each respectively. In the brief stint he had in the major leagues, he was phenomenal. He had a 295 average, 383 on base, 365 Woba and 374 X Woba. So really, you know, both getting results and also hitting the bejeebus out of the ball while walking and striking out at a nearly identical clip. So that is really the basis for a really strong offensive production. You know, this is kind of a theme I alluded to back when we did the catchers list and I had Adley Rutschman. Is that, you know, far too many times will you see out major outlets and just overall fans, like the, you know, the collective mindset is that it's the to undervalue the production you can get from rookie players. Is that they want to see more time, they value major league service time or a number of at bats. It's just they they see these guys who have the tools, they have the foundation, they they have the minor league record to support it, yet they're just not bought in is the is the phrase I'm commonly heard. But I just don't think like, you know, when we talk about production and, you know, kind of just to simplify um, and the overarching goal of this kind of list, I think maybe it's not the war specific stat from like fan graphs or baseball reference, but it's who's going to be the most productive players in 2023. We're factoring in um, longevity, factoring in injuries as Dylan mentioned with Alonzo. Are these guys going to stay healthy? How good are they going to be? Are they going to be able to get a high number of at-bats? Or how good are they going to be instead of bats? How will their defense play? You know, how will their environment, their teams, where they are in the lineup? And factoring that all in, you know, being a rookie doesn't necessarily deduct you points for that. It's that we have to do different tools. We have different measures. So, no, he has an exceptionally low chase rate. He hits the ball very well. His defense is as a negative as most of these guys on this list. He accumulated over 1.5 war in just 72 games last year. He certainly has you know, the, the tools. And I think he had, you know, by the end of this year, he could be very well, much higher on this list. He's projected to have a 140 WRC plus. So certainly the sky and the limit, you know, just seeing how good he can be. And, you know, uh, for reference that past year, that would be better than Vlad Guerrero. That would be better than Jose Abreu. That would be better than Christian Walker. It'd be right on par with Pete Alonso. So just to show that despite this being a very, you know, we talk about projections, whether it's fan graphs, baseball reference, they're said to be extremely conservative, mid of the line, like your 50%, 50th percentile outcome. To be the median type production, be a, a guy who's 40% better than average, it just shows you the type of talent we're dealing with and a guy who I think but many people are going to regret leaving off their list come the end of next season. Well, if we're going to talk about exemplary rookies, I think I need to use my shout out here and use that as a transition to go with my number 10 on our list. And that is indeed friend of the podcast, Matt Mervis, who, if you're not aware of, is the Chicago Cubs in their top five prospects ending the season off. Mervis went to Duke, was a powerhouse there, and ended up doing really well this past season in their minor league system, hitting 36 homers, had a 984 OPS. He did really well at the Arizona Fall League, including winning their Fall League MVP award for the All-Star Game. So Mervis definitely has the skills and the talent, and the question then becomes, well, what about a playing opportunity? And the Cubs recently DFA'd Last year's starting first baseman, Alfonso Rivas. The Cubs are proving with moves like Dansby Swanton that they want to win this year. And this feels eerily similar to what happened with the Mets in 2019. The Mets had Dom Smith on the roster, but they told in, in spring training, Pete Alonso, win the job and you're our opening day first baseman. And we couldn't care less about service time because we want to compete and we want to win. Now, we know the 2019 Mets didn't go anywhere. Mickey Calloway is the manager, but that's not Pete's fault. The same thing is probably going to occur with Mervis this year. 
where he's going to come into the into spring training. They might get a veteran backup type of person who could play the job. Mervis isn't ready, but Mervis is projected. Jack, if you want to pull up the fan graph stats, or I think I have them, is that it's a around 120 WRC plus projection for him for 2023. So he's not only projected numbers wise to do well, the first base job is kind of being handed to him as in if he performs well, it's his to lose. I think Matt Mervis combined with an elite minor league season, as well as being a friend of the podcast, it makes sense. Mervis sort of this 10 spot. And you're going to see with my future list as well is that I'm going to throw this 10 spot as sort of a shot in the dark could be someone who maybe isn't ready yet to be a top 10. But in 2023, when we were 2024, wow, when we redo this list, we're going to be like, wow, we actually had this right. You correctly predicted that Mervis was going to break out season. So that's why I had him as my number 10, Jack, if you have the fan graph stats. Yes. Up. So, yeah, he is, as you mentioned, projected 123. I think this is ultra conservatives, as, we see, as we've seen with rookies. And despite that being a very, very good season, I think Cubs fans immediately sign up for that. I think, as you mentioned, Mervis can be, a very, you know, have a much better year. Um, just looking at it, you know, I think what's most shocking about him is he actually, you know, he didn't uh, strifle or shrivel under the pressure from going from double A AA to triple A. In fact, both his walk rate increased and his strikeout rate decreased going walk rate going from about 9% to 10% and strikeout rate being cut by nearly a third going from 20% to 14%. So it just shows you that he is, you know, he's improving as a hitter. His WRC plus jumped up between those two. He certainly is, you know, he mashed Mervis, as Dylan likes to call him, is certainly a very appropriate nickname. And I think, you know, just seeing he definitely has, you know, the, the hit tool. I don't have like a minor league exit velocities on my hand, so I don't know what how in terms of he projects in that way. But he definitely has the capabilities and could be that spark plug, that kind of rookie that comes in. You know, as we mentioned, like, you know, I just went on a tangent about it. We have to stop underrating these guys, someone like Mervis. Pasquino, while they might not be on the same tier, according to us, they certainly can be very productive and have outstanding years and be very core pieces and major league all-stars, regardless of their limited amount of play appearances of, uh, prior to the 2023 season. And all I'm saying is looking at the minor league numbers, and obviously he's not going to perform as well as he did in the minors. I mean, he could, but 36 homers, as well as a 300 batting average, when we're looking at all the guys on our list right now, Pete included, and I love Pete, it's either batting average or it's home runs. Same with guy like Luis Arias is all batting average, no power, versus Pete is all power, no average. It looks like Mervis has the capabilities to do them both. James, coming right back at you because we just did our rookie segment. Now we're going with all the veterans, and you had them locked up pretty similar on your list. Jose Abreu, as well as Anthony Rizzo, and then Christian Walker. If you want to get into those three guys at the bottom, you're 7, 8, 9, how you rank them, why you rank them, and whether you think Jose Abreu and Anthony Rizzo are on the decline, or as you probably can see, they're going to do really well in 2023. Yeah, so um, the only reason I had Abreu this low is just, I mean, he's heading into his age 36 season. Um, he's on the older side. I mean, there's no denying that. Um, you know, he put up really good numbers last year. He hit 304 with a 378 OBP, uh, an 824 OPS for a 35-year-old, which is incredible. Um, you know, he did, uh, he almost played every game, you know, he's solid defensively. Um, you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to drive in a lot of runs. Um, that's what he's done his whole career. Um, so yeah, I think him going to Houston, he's a great fit for Houston. He fits, he'll fit right into that lineup. Uh, he'll play every day at first base. Um, I, I mean, minute made to a hitter's paradise, in my opinion. I mean, he'll have the Crawford boxes and left, and people forget that, that right field's kind of a short porch there. It's only 315 down the line in right field in Houston as well. 
So um, I think the power could surge back up. You know, he only hit 15 homers last year. Uh, he did hit 30 in 2021. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to, to see him eclipse 30 homers again this next season. Um, you know, he really was able to keep his strikeouts down last year. Uh, he doesn't walk very uh, – he walks well, but not 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 crazy numbers like some other guys in the bigs. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a great fit for Houston, so that's why I had him uh, – where I had him on my list. Um, next, Anthony Rizzo. So, I mean, we know he's going to hit 30 homers. He's going to take advantage of the short porch. He's kind of got that all figured out, that little – that little loopy swing he has to right field. Um, you know, he just loves to plop him on over into row one and two, uh, right over the WB Mason sign over there in right field at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I mean, you know what you're going to get from him. You know, you're going to get 30 homers. You're going to get around 230, 240 batting average. Uh, solid. He'll walk a lot. He'll get hit by a lot of pitches. He won't strike out a ton. Um, he knows how to situationally hit. Um, but I think the biggest thing that, that I – the reason why I had him on my list where I had him was – his ability to save the Yankees defense. I mean, Josh Donaldson, IKF, Glaber Torres. I mean, these guys are throwing the baseball all around the infield. And if you don't have a guy who can pick it like Rizzo, um, that can lead to a lot of problems. So um, I think his defense is criminally underrated um, when it comes to what he does for the Yankees and, and how many errors he saved that team last year. Um, because, I mean, the defense was just brutal. Uh, I'm sure Jack can agree with that uh, on the end. Um, the brutal defense was named the best defensive team in baseball and uh, had two of those guys rate. IKF, I cannot speak to, but Donaldson and Clay <laughs> were certainly very, well, very excellent defensive season. Donaldson no, no, can't they feel the ball well behind the I, mean, I, think, I feel like every game my heart skipped a beat two or three times because Rizzo had to make an exceptional dig over there at first base. Rizzo's hard to rate defensively just because picking really isn't properly equated, and that is a valuable asset that he brings. He rates rather poorly defensively just because he has not the best. He has poor range over yeah. and at first base, which certainly is a detriment. But I think just seeing, like as you mentioned, that picking ability he does, he has in his back pocket, certainly can make up for that. And he, I would say most Yankee fans agree, and overall baseball, even analytically driven fans, would argue he is a defensive upgrade. I uh, he's definitely I think he's past his platinum glove days and how yeah. much he actually saved the Yankees in terms of how they had several DJ LeMayu, Donaldson, Glaber, excellent defensive infielders uh, over in the six hole. Can't really say the same, but de definitely a, a valuable asset he has in terms of being able to scoop it like he's still, you know, um, but in it's, Chicago Cub days. It's also yeah. look at the rest of this list and it's like Matt Olson, obviously amazing defender, Freddie Freeman, solid defensively, but it's not like Vlad Guerrero or Pete Alonso or Jose Abreu are going to be like these gold glove. And it's really for your bat. And Rizzo, especially as James, you just alluded to, he's going to hit the ball to that short porch and his numbers are going to go up. Oh, I mean, he's your stereo, he's your stereotypical first baseman. I mean, he's going to hit 30 homers. Um, he's, he's everything you could want. He's going to, he's going to pick everything. He's not going to make errors on routine plays. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really all you could ask for. And that's why he definitely deserves a spot in, in the top 10 on everyone's list. Yeah, um, and we're gonna we'll get to Christian Walker in a second because our okay. last segment we're gonna have to do here. That thank you again to all of our listeners who submitted their top ten list. If you'd like yours to be featured for a future position for a future episode, DM us the Twitter and the Instagram at Side Retired Pod, or just tweet at us in anything, and we'll definitely make sure to see your list and get it featured. What we did with the catcher list and Jack, if you think that was a good format, we're not gonna read your entire list, although know that we did before and when we were prepping. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take the thing about it. 
that we think was most sort of not controversial, but it's definitely a talking point and different than our list. And we're going to go to both of our analysts here and say whether they agree or disagree with the things that you submitted. So the first thing comes from our behind the scenes guy, Matt Potter. He said that both Yuli Gurriel and Joey Votto still remain in the top 10 first baseman list despite down 2022 seasons. Jack, your thoughts? Um, Yuli Gurriel, I don't think he's yet signed to a major league team despite a non-existent first base market. And Votto, it just seems like he's passed the days of first base and is going to have to switch over for DH. Neither of them, I think, project to be in the top 20 and are coming off pretty brutal seasons in which the Astros, that was their singular hole they had to fix. And then Votto's on a Reds team where at this point he's more so there to sell tickets than to, you know, bring it, drive and create runs. So I don't, I think their heydays are behind them. I don't really see them cracking this list where there's, I have 10 guys listed out. I think there's also the, you know, you guys have several also not included on mine who I would also rank ahead of those two aforementioned names. All right. The next one comes from the former mystery man. Now the YouTube birthday shout out guy, David Halpert listed Ty France inside of his top 10 first base list. That's the name that none of us included, but I don't think is as unrealistic as the two guys mentioned on Potter's list. James, your thoughts on the Mariners first baseman. Yeah, I think Ty France had a really good season last year. You know, him making the all-star game um, was good for him. I think I think he definitely deserved it. Um, he was definitely a key part of that Mariners offense. Um, him and uh, Julio Rodriguez, uh, he did fall off kind of in the second half. I'm low-key going to say he was a first-half merchant. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think overall he's a solid player. Um I, I believe he's a second baseman converted first baseman, right? Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. So uh, obviously, you know, he, he plays defense posi- positionally really well. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, if, if he can hit 275 and hit 20 homers, I mean, why not? I mean, the Mariners definitely can use more offensive production. Uh, guys like him uh, and Julio Rodriguez are kind of leading the charge. Cal, Ra- Cal Raleigh. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, they're just looking for more offensive production that that can maybe, you know, push them into playoff contention like this past season. Jack, when the Baltimore Orioles moved their left field fence back by around 15 feet, the guy that was probably crying the most was Ryan Mountcastle in an Instagram DM. Rowan told us that Ryan Mountcastle will have a bounce back season. He'll probably hit a couple more doubles, and he made his top 10 list at number 10. Your thoughts on Ryan Mountcastle entering the 2023 season? I don't know if I would include him in my top 10 list, let alone, you know, top 12. But I think Mountcastle is a good pick to have a bounce back season as Rowan had. Um, so, you know, not really much there to be desired in terms of um, back to ball skills, a seven, uh, 7.1 walk rate. And then on top of that, a 25% K rate is kind of alarming. But he did hit the ball very hard at a 362 expected Woba versus a 316 result base, which led him to be an overall average offensive player this past year. I think he currently projects to be much better on um, the 20th best uh, first baseman, according to Fangraphs, and it once, you know, a 10-point raise or 10% of, you know, equates to uh, 10% increase in his offensive production. I think that certainly is very doable and is a candidate for a bounce-back year. Top 10 is certainly very aggressive, but I do like, um, the, you know, the chances of Mount Castle capitalizing at a better season. Um, I think especially considering that the, the shift also going away. He's another player, as I mentioned, like Freeman is certainly going to have a benefit like that. 
And then James, I'll come to you for this next one from Al Scott at Al Scott1998 on Twitter. Said that Christian Walker is a top 10 first baseman and you were the only one of us three that had Walker on his list. So tell us about the Diamondbacks underrated first baseman slash DH. Yeah, so I think you have to have Christian Walker on your list. Um, I mean, he was the NL Gold Glover last year. He had 36 homers, uh, which if I'm not mistaken... No, Goldschmidt had more, but that's the second most homers, I think, at the first base position last season. Um, unless, I, yeah, I think I think it is. He had a 5.1 war, um, which is like basically his whole career total. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a breakout season for Walker. Uh, he really was the entire Arizona Diamondbacks offense. I feel like they kind of lived and died, whether or not he was able to produce some runs uh, for them each game. Uh but yeah, I mean, now, you know, the Diamondbacks seem to be rebuilding, you know, making a trade uh, for Gabriel Moreno, uh, uh, you know, sending away Dalton Varsho, uh, adding Lourdes Gurriel. Um, I still think they're a couple years away, but I think Walker could definitely be a solid piece uh, to help, you know, a solid veteran piece to kind of teach these younger guys, you know, uh, set a culture and, uh, I don't know, just lead them uh, for the next couple of seasons as as they build this young, talented young core uh, with guys like Zach Gallen, uh, Drew Jones, uh, Moreno, and, and others. And a really solid list, Al. I'll also mention that you also had Reese Hoskins as your number 10. None of us had him on our top 10, but I'll be honest, he was my number 11. Really liked what he was doing in the playoffs. Seemed like he might have turned a corner. I know Philly fans still hate his defense, and obviously Philly's defense has become a joke at this point, but Reese Hoskins is a really solid baseball player year in and year out and looked like he had maybe turned a corner just like Daniel Murphy did in 2015. Hoskins went on a similar type run in the 2022 playoffs. Jack, I'll come to you with this list next from MLB Stats at MLB Stats 9. So that Joey Manessis is a top five, repeat, not top 10, but a top five first baseman in the league. Had him behind Goldschmidt, Freeman, Nate Lau, and Pete Alonso. Your thoughts on Joey Manessis and whether his end of 2022 is even sustainable entering the new year? I don't think it's sustainable. I think it certainly was was good, uh, you know, but he had a 395 Woba versus a 333 X Woba at 324, 360, uh, 367 OBP. Um, just given that he walks very little at six percent and strikes out 21 percent, I just don't. And you know, the, the batted ball um didn't really sustain that kind of production over the course of a full season, which he's projected to have. Um, you know, projected to have a 139 games next year, but then a, a 40 point drop off in his WRC plus. So. Uh, he, in order to crack this list, he would have to maintain the kind of production he had over a brief, uh, you know, a brief uh, 56 game sample size from last year. But just given, you know, the lack of hard contact, lack of walks, um, the decent amount of strikeouts, I just don't really see that being sustainable. And I'll handle these last two lists. We have one from Yiner Diaz, enthusiast at Yiner Z Diaz, said that Andrew Vaughn is a top 10 first baseman. I love Andrew Vaughn and I've been on his hype train. He's been on my fantasy team for two years. But he has severely disappointed. Now, you could argue that's because the White Sox have literally been trying him at every single position. I know he played third, he played some left, he played some right. But the Sox did get rid of Jose Abreu this offseason, which does, in theory, open up first base for the long term for Andrew Vaughn. And he does have the power, at least in the minor leagues, he had those numbers. I know it has disappeared for somewhat in the big leagues. He only hit 17 homers in 130 games this last year. Vaughn, I like, is an interesting player entering the year, and it could be the scenario where I had Mervis as my 10. You have Vaughn as that guy that you think is going to break out, so I'm not going to criticize that. I just think, and these two with me on the call probably agree, is that Vaughn hasn't shown enough 
to be over a guy like Matt Olson, who you had at your number seven versus Vaughn at number six. But I don't think we're going to criticize and go that far to say that Vaughn is an awful or a bad player. He's an interesting take. I like the hot take. That's always what we love here. And of course, if Andrew Vaughn has a breakout season, we can say Yarny Diaz was correct on that, James. Yeah, I think um, I think there was like a three or four week stretch this past season where Vaughn was just on a tear. Um, he was leading the league in average at one point. I think he was hitting a nice 327 or so. Um, you know, he was up there in doubles and, and extra base hits in general. Um, and then he really kind of slumped after the all-star break. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think he's definitely shown flashes. I, I know it's from experience. It's really tough when you're worried about playing you know, different spots, different positions. I think he'll, you know, he'll feel comfortable at first base, you know, not having to worry about being in left field or third base or, or somewhere else where he's not used to playing. Uh, I think that could definitely help ease him. Uh, and, and we could see the bat show up more uh, this next season. And then the last one we got was from MLB fan at baseball fan, seven, three, eight, James, you thought you were the biggest Christian Walker supporter. Unfortunately, I have to pump your brakes because he had Christian Walker as his number three first baseman only behind Paul Goldschmidt and Freddie Freeman obviously expecting big things out in the desert from Christian Walker he also had Alonzo Nate Lau and then the other thing that I did want to mention on his list and obviously we mentioned all the other players in his four through ten earlier so definitely back up and listen to that he had two players in Josh Bell and Seth Brown right outside his top 10 who are guys that we have not yet discussed on this episode I really like the Josh Bell pick not only because Bell has been a standout offensive reformer these past couple of seasons. He did slow down in San Diego, but if you look at his first half numbers in Washington, he did really well. And now he's going to a Cleveland Guardians lineup where he'll be hitting behind Andres Jimenez, Amad Rosario, and Jose Ramirez. I think the bat could really play in Cleveland for Josh Bell. Seth Brown is definitely an interesting case because he's the only hitter now that Sean Murphy is gone in the Oakland A's lineup. So Brown will likely not get pitched to. And there's not like a standout player, whereas Juan Soto last year when he was the only bat in Washington, we knew he was still going to hit. I worry a little bit about Seth Brown and his ability to remain a top first baseman. You had him at number 13, but I really love the Josh Bell tick pick at 12. And I love the top 10 overall and a huge Christian Walker supporter, it seems like. So Jack, James, listeners, anything else you guys want to throw in? We will be back later on this week talking about other things as well as another great interview coming up with another BBWA Hall of Fame voter. So until the next time, happy Merry Christmas and the side is retired.